Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Uh, I am Jeff Smelser, and uh, today we have the full complement. We have Chase Byers um, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we will also have Joe Works here momentarily in Elmira, New York. Good afternoon, Chase. Afternoon, Jeff. It's good to see you today. Sorry about the two-week hiatus we've been on. We have. We've missed two weeks in a <clears> row, various things that just um, became problematic uh, in terms of doing this webcast. And so, Jeff, if, if you'd be so kind as to like, let me come on, that would be wonderful. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll let Joe Works come on. We were trying to keep him hidden there. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought audio was good enough, but whatever. You're, you're in charge. <laughs> well, sometimes people want me to be neither seen nor heard, but uh, thanks for the graciousness there. Well, we really do need you because we're going we're gonna to kind of look to you to walk us through Revelation 16 and however far we get today. I, I stick a title on a descriptive title each week, and today's title says Revelation 16 and dot, 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 question mark. So um, don't know how far we'll get. You want to start us off, Joe, in Revelation 16? Well, do you want to set this? Do you want, we've been gone for two weeks. You want to back up a little bit? Yeah, I think that'd probably be helpful because 16 kind of starts in the middle of a of a thought there, right? Um, uh, and so uh, it's hard to know how far back to set the stage, but maybe if I could just go back to chapter 14 and recall in verses 6 through uh, 13, you have three angels and a voice. Um, uh, and the first angel makes a statement saying, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. Revelation 14 and verse seven. Um, uh, and then the second angel says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. And then the third angel beginning in verse nine talks about whoever worships the beast or his image that they're going to receive the wrath of God. Verse 10 and then finally, the voice at the end uh, of this section in verse 13 uh, says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Um, I wasn't here when you all talked about chapter uh, 14 and 15, but uh, I see these three angels and then the voice as being a great outline for the rest of the book. And so the first angel that says, fear God, give, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come, worship him. I think that's the theme of chapters 15 and 16. Um, uh, in fact, those same words are used in this text. Uh, in chapter 15, the song that they sing in verses three and four, in verse four, they say, who shall not fear you, O Lord, glorify your name, for you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are manifested. And so fear, give glory, judgment, and worship are four things that are mentioned in chapter 14 and verse 7, and they are the four things that are mentioned in chapter 15 and verse 4. And then they're also mentioned, uh, some of them are mentioned elsewhere in uh, this text. And then that second angel says Babylon has fallen, has fallen in Revelation 14, and that's the theme of chapter 17 and 18. And then the third angel says, Whoever worships the beast or his image uh, will receive the wrath of God. That's what chapters 19 and 20 are going to talk about. And then blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, I think, is the theme of chapters 21 and 22. Wow. So, Chase, we covered chapters um, 14 and 15 without Joe. We, did, we didn't notice any of that, did we? 
<laughs> I suspect you're saying that completely in jest. Uh, no, no, we didn't. We no, really no, I think we're being both serious. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm always looking for something uh, that's a, a simple outline or something handy. And, and to me, I just see that, um, you know, it really jumps out that second uh, angel that speaks, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city. Right. That's quoted in 17 and 18. And uh, so it really does seem like these angels are sort of previewing what's getting ready to happen. And maybe it would be oversimplified to say that it's ex at the exact chapter breaks, but they're really pretty good um, uh, the way that they're set up. You have eight chapters left, 15 through 22, and uh, those eight chapters broken into four different sections um, uh, kind of match these three angels in the voice. So with that in mind, then, chapters 15 and 16, I think he's saying that the theme of this is, fear God, give him glory, worship him, because he's going to judge. And so you see these bowls being poured out for the people who have failed to do that. And uh, in chapter 16, then, you have this loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth and so this judgment is going to be manifested and so the bowls are going to be poured out in verses two uh, uh through um uh, through the end of the chapter i guess yeah um so i i'm happy to pause here if you guys have something you want to throw in there no no you're you're on a roll stay with it <laughs> okay well uh, i'm liable to roll off the hill so keep me on track uh so the first bowl let's just go ahead and pick up reading in verse two um uh so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon men who had the mark of the beast and on those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became a blood as a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers of the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord. The one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And so these are judgments that are being poured out, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, they seem to be more severe than the trumpets that we had read about a little bit earlier. Remember, the, the trumpets were often like a third of one thing or a third of another, partial judgments. Um, uh, this is affecting, you know, all of the people who worship the beast, verse 2, the first bowl. All, every living creature dies in verse 3. Clearly, this isn't something that's literally, physically being fulfilled. Um, the, uh, the water supply, the drinking supply is affected in the third bowl in verse 4 and following. And he says, this is what the people of the world have uh, coming to them. Uh, this is their just due uh, for them to receive that. And then in verse 8, the fourth bowl, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. That to me is really interesting that it would say they did not repent or give him glory. Um, that's very similar to what we had read about in the sixth trumpet back in chapter 9 and verses 20 and 21. 
these judgment that God is pouring out on people, I think is implied here that really what he's wanting is not just to punish people. He's wanting people to change. But sometimes people are so hard-hearted that when God brings judgment upon them, they even turn their back harder. They, their heart becomes more hardened uh, against God. And that's what we're seeing in this fourth bowl uh, when mankind is so strongly affected that they blame God. And I mean, don't we see that same thing today? I think that's always been the case. Um, uh, evil people, um, when they face the consequences of their actions, they're just due uh, uh, the end of verse six. They often blame God for those things instead of uh, repenting as they should and giving God glory. One so thing. First, go ahead. No, go ahead. At, at one point, it, when you after you get through, I guess I'll I'll save my comment for after you get through going through the kind of the summary of the seven bowls. Okay. So verse ten, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And did not repent of their deeds. Again, uh, the end of the fourth bowl and the end of the fifth bowl, very similar. And again, you have language that is quite reminiscent of uh, what had happened in Egypt. Verse uh, chapter 16 and verse 12 in the sixth bowl. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. That name just causes fear in uh, so many people as they read the Bible. Armageddon. Oh, you know, all of these kings have gathered together for battle against God. Um, they, they've come together to, to battle. Um, they've assembled together at this place called Armageddon. And it's in Hebrew, so it's even more spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, true, true. Um, uh, and if I understand it right, the word Armageddon means the place of crowds. Um, uh, Ar they have, well, they okay. Have alternate meanings there as well. There's a couple of different uh, translations, I guess, for that. So, so here's here's my understanding of Armageddon. Um, in he in 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 English Bibles, usually it's Armageddon starting with an A, um, but in in Greek. Uh, the H sound is not indicated by a letter. There's just a little mark that goes before words. So, so if you have a, a, let, a word that starts with ha, you wouldn't actually have a letter for it. And the Hebrew word for, for mountain is har, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. And Mageddon is, as I understand it, is to be taken from the, the place Megiddo. Mm -hmm. So mountain or mountains of Megiddo. Now, Megiddo, right. truth be known, was, was in a plain, but Megiddo up in the northern territory of Israel sat, uh, if I'm remembering right, kind of at the east end of the Valley of Jezreel, and the, the eastern end of that range that we think of as Mount Carmel that sticks out into the Mediterranean Sea, 
as it goes from west to east, the eastern end of that range overlooks Megiddo, and that was a it it overlooked a major roadway. If you were traveling from Egypt to say Damascus, you would go through there, and whoever controlled that point controlled that was a strategic point to control. Uh, you could you could bring down terror upon any army that would try to pass through there. So and what so, would be what would be an equivalent of that, Jeff? Oh, I don't know. Um, you could say Gettysburg, except Gettysburg really wasn't geographically strategic. Yeah, I see what uh, you mean, though. It's it's just a, it's a stronghold place within a war where it was a place where it was a place where conflicts often took place. It's where Josiah was killed in the Old Testament when he went up to head off Pharaoh Necho, who was heading from Egypt up to uh, toward um, Carchemish or Haran up, up in that direction, I guess, uh, and, and the, Josiah goes out to meet him and he's killed in battle. Um, there were various conflicts that took place there in the Old Testament. So my understanding is that Armageddon or Armageddon is, is meant to symbolize a judgment. In Joel chapter 3, you have the expression, the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the valley of Yahweh shall judge. And kind of a similar idea, Armageddon, God's judgment coming. That was, yeah. that was my understanding. Well, I, I think you're right on that. I think it's also connected with um, uh, the idea of the place of crowds or multitudes in Ezekiel 39, um, uh, where you have uh, Haman Gog um, uh, for the, the Gog and Magog um, uh, text. Um, uh, uh, but I think your etymology is, uh, is spot on there. But, but you, you mentioned Ezekiel 39. In Ezekiel 39, what we have We've already had the description of the Messianic kingdom being established, the, the one who's identified in chapter 37 as David, who comes and unites the kingdom. Jesus does that in the first century. And then you move on after that, you get into chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, and you have this picture of God's people, a, a people who's dwell in a city without walls in the beautiful land. It's the picture of the Messianic kingdom not something that's still off in our future, something that was accomplished when the church was established. And you have these enemies of God's people coming against them, and God brings them together and judges them in Ezekiel 39. And so I think that mentioning Ezekiel 39 here is entirely appropriate, because that's what we have in the book of Revelation. We have the kingdom having been established, and yet now there's yet this conflict to take place as the enemies of God's people persecuting them, and God is going to bring judgment on them. Right. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Um, I don't know if you're intending to, to leave the uh, screen on the, the slide or not, but... Uh, oh, I thought I had taken it off. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. All right. Uh, yeah, Chase sent me a note and said it's still on, and I said, yeah. okay, I took care of that, and yeah. somehow I didn't. It's okay, okay Boomer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So think about this scene then with this sixth bowl. Euphrates is dried up. The kings are coming from the east. There's this great battle that is, is set up. And so you're just anticipating the next verse. If you've not read the next verse yet, you're just anticipating this magnificent, glorious battle and maybe all kinds of, of images and uh, depictions of, of soldiers and, and so forth. 
And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done. You know, uh, they've gathered together for battle. And this is something that is consistent in the book of Revelation and in the Bible. When people fight against God, the battle is over before it even begins. I, that's a good way to put it. It, it is just incredible, which, which to me, I, it is so encouraging to read this text to people who have maybe for years been afraid of Armageddon. And then you say, no, read verses 16 and then 17. Yeah, they gather together to fight against God, and God just, no, it, it's, it's over with. It, it, it's done. Uh, and there are noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there's, such, there's a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, every hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. You just see the wickedness of man. You know, these aren't just some people that have misunderstood some scriptures. And maybe they've, you know, just in, in honesty have not applied things uh, quite as they should. These are people who are determined to fight against God. And each time that God punishes them, they become more hardened. Verse 9, verse 11, and now verse 21. Um, they are just not going to change. And so now we're going to see fo the following chapters. It it's just going to become uh, clearer what God is going to do with them. So backing up now, um, you, you've alluded to the trumpets that were, you know, we, we went through the first 11 chapters of the book of Revelation. We got to the uh, chapters uh, 6 through 11, and there were these seals that were being opened. When we got to chapter 8, the seventh seal was opened, and there were seven trumpets. And uh, the description of what those seven trumpets are associated with is found in chapters 8 through 11. And you get to the, to the last trumpet, and it's like you've arrived. God's kingdom has been victorious. Um, and it's kind of like you were saying a moment ago, we're building up to this climax, but instead of this climactic, drawn-out battle, it, it's like it's over. God's kingdom has prevailed. And then we start back in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. We back up. We back up to even before Jesus has been born. And we start kind of going through it again. It's interesting, if we look at the seven trumpets the first time we go through this, and then we look at the bowls of wrath the second time we go through this, there's a correlation so do this with me. Let's look at chapter 16 when the bowls of wrath are being poured out. The first one, the first uh, angel pours his bowl out into what? Under the earth. Into the, under the earth. And if we go back to uh, Revelation chapter, um, uh, chapter 8, and we see the trumpet start sounding, the first one sounds in chapter 8, verse 7, and hail, fire, mingled with blood were cast upon what? The earth. The earth. We come back to chapter 16, and in verse 2, the second angel 
pours his bowl into what? The 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 second trumpet or the second uh, second bowl is poured out bowl. into the the sea, right? Yeah, into the sea. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. We go back to chapter eight, and when the second trumpet sounds, there's a, a burning mountain that is cast into what in verse eight? Yep, into the sea. And and let's just stay there. The third trumpet in in chapter eight sounds, and there's a um, a star burning as a torch that falls into the the rivers. drinking waters. The rivers and the water and springs. Yeah, the rivers. Mine says, and then we go to chapter sixteen, and we look at the the third bowl, um, and it is poured out upon the rivers and the fountains of the waters. Then in uh, we're then in Revelation sixteen now. Let's look at the fourth bowl, and it's poured upon the what? Yeah. Verse eight. Mm -hmm. The sun. On the sun. The sun. And we go back to Revelation 8 and verse 12, and the fourth angel sounds, and what is darkened in the first part of verse 12? The sun, the sun and the moon and the stars. Yep. And then we go back to Revelation 16, and you've got the fifth uh, bowl poured out, and you mentioned the, the pains that are mentioned. They gnawed their tongues for pain. Mm -hmm. If we go back to Revelation chapter 9, when the fifth angel sounds, we have these um, these locusts or scorpions, uh, scorpion like uh, that that cause great pain where the men want to die. Yeah, torment like the sting of a scorpion. Mm -hmm. um, and then going back to Revelation sixteen verse twelve, the six poured out his bowl upon the great river, the river Euphrates. And if we go back to the sixth trumpet in Revelation nine verse. 14, lose the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. And then you get to the um, last bowl being poured out in Revelation 16. And you have the expression, um, it, it was in verse uh, 17, it is done. Mm -hmm. And you look back at, a re at Revelation 11, and you see the seventh trumpet sounding. And, and basically, that's the idea. Yeah, the kingdoms, um, kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of uh, our Lord and of his Christ. Right. Yeah. It's done. So what I think, I'm not sure what to make of all of that, but it does seem to me that it underscores the idea that we're kind of going through this scenario twice. We go through it once in chapters uh, 6 through uh, 11, and then we go through it again uh, here in the second half of the book of Revelation. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on uh, with that. Um, uh, and, and you have the conclusions are the same, that the people refuse to glory, give God glory and refuse to repent, mm -hmm. um, uh, particularly in the latter trumpets that's talked about and in the latter bowls that's talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, all right, you ready to take us on into chapter 17? And maybe, uh, you know, as we do so, let's, um, let's do a little bit for some of our viewers who may still be thinking that the book of Revelation is a roadmap to events in the geopolitical world today that probably somewhere in here we should be finding Russia invading Ukraine or something. Um, and what we're saying is, you know, we, we were talking a moment ago about uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Old Testament a number of times talks about God's kingdom coming and then there being a conflict. In Daniel chapter 2, 
Uh, you see the statue that's set up and you've got those four empires and there's a stone that's cut out without hands and that's God's kingdom. But then there's a conflict between God's kingdom and these empires of men. And remember that when we got started in the book of Revelation in chapter one, there was a conflict. John was a partaker in the tribulation or the persecution or the suffering with those to whom he was writing. Antipas, one of the saints at Pergamos, had already been killed. The saints at Smyrna are going through tribulation. They're going to suffer tribulation 10 days, uh, be faithful even unto death. So they were going through this conflict. Christ has come. He's risen. He's sitting on his throne. He's established his kingdom. And yet God's people, the kingdom of God, is in this conflict with the world. And, and the book of Revelation is painting a picture of the victory that God was going to provide to them. So take us on from there, Joe. Yeah. And so maybe just one statement to kind of uh, set that uh, in context here in the, in the book. Um, are there some Bible passages that would teach that man has basically two choices? Yes. Uh, just maybe a few hundred passages that could quickly come to mind. The lust of God or the will of uh, the will of God or the lust of men. I almost said yeah. it wrong. Sin, yeah. sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. You must master it. Yeah. Um, or the, the narrow way and the broad way. And just over and over you have that. The book of Revelation has that as well. So remember, for example, in chapter 12, we talked about that woman um, yep. uh, that we were describing. Now we're going to look at another woman. In, uh, in chapter uh, 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 14, we, we talked about chapter 5 and 14, 5, 7, and 14, we talked about the, the lamb. And then in chapter 13, we talk about this kind of fake lamb. Um, uh, we are going to talk about a great city, and then we're going to talk about another great city. Um, uh, the book of Revelation is just constantly giving us these, these two different options I, uh, to, to think about. And, and to me, you, you just sort of soak those in. The more you read through the book of Revelation, you just kind of notice that coming out more, more and more uh, strongly. And so I think that's the case here. We, we've looked at a, a glorious woman previously. Now we're going to look at her uh, opponent, if you will. Um, uh, and so in chapter 17, one of you all want to read one through six? Yeah. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. Okay. And the angel, uh, did you say through verse six? Yeah, yeah, just through, through six for now, thanks. Um, so uh, what is it that the one of the angels is wanting to show John in verse one? The judgment, judgment of the great yeah. harlot that sits yeah. on many waters. Thank, thanks for getting that right. Because a lot of people will say, oh, he's wanting to show this woman. That's not what he's wanting to show her, show him. He's wanting to show him the judgment of this woman. Yeah. You know, she's introduced 
so that John will see her judgment. And, and that's what's very clearly pointed out. But before we see her judgment, we need to understand why is she being judged? Well, what is it? And it's about as grotesque of a scene as you can come up with, right? Um, you have fornication, you have slaughter talked about, you have her pomp and circumstance in verse four. Uh, you know, Bless you've her. got this, this harlot who is living as a queen, um, uh, you know, it sort of gives you a Jezebel kind of, uh, of an image or Athaliah kind of image, right? Um, right. Uh, and she's drunk. Um, she's drunk on a couple of things. She's drunk on the wine of her fornication in verse two and on the blood of the saints in verse six. So you have this immorality and um, murderous uh, attitude. And so we've talked about some of the people who had died, like Antipas, who was a martyr back in uh, Revelation chapter three. Um, uh, or no, is it two? Two. two. Yeah, two, two, about 216 or so. Um, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about, the, about him, thinking about the souls that were under the altar um, uh, that had been slain. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've read in, in a few other passages about those who had been murdered for the cause of Christ. And this woman, uh, whoever she is, however she's being portrayed, is the one who is guilty of that. And she's going to be judged. And she's wearing this name, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots. Um, you know, and the idea of harlotry is a strong biblical theme. You have Nineveh is called a harlot in the book of Nahum and, and Tyre in uh, Isaiah 23, Babylon in Isaiah 47, Jerusalem in Isaiah 1 and, and several other passages. Um, uh, but, you know, harlotry, uh, Israel, the book of Hosea. Um, the idea of a nation being portrayed as a harlot is, is pretty common, not just for what we think of as God's people like Israel or the church, but even for other nations because all nations belong to God. And uh, when they go and begin uh, to find allegiances to others, they're playing the harlot uh, as well. So thoughts about her introduction here? I just think it's interesting what you were saying about the book of Revelation setting up these contrasts. You've got the true lamb, and then you've got this thing that looks like a lamb, but it's got the voice of the dragon. You've, you've got the one that was the lamb that was smitten and is alive and then you've got this head on the beast that uh looks like he was smitten to death and he's alive and and you've got this counter you've got this true and counterfeit contrast and and then you mentioned the two women and in revelation 12 the woman who represents the people of god she flees into the wilderness he goes into the wilderness here in revelation 17 yep and sees this woman that's a harlot. It's just, it, it, you do constantly have that, I, somebody might use the word tension here, tension between two things that look alike uh, in on one level, but are the exact opposites. Yeah, I love that. I need to write that down. True and counterfeit. That, that's really handy to, to think about. Those are the options. Uh, we, we either have God or we have a, a fake God that, that offers promises, but they are, are empty. Uh, and that's what Satan and that's what Satan's minions are, are like. So we've seen the sea beast, we've seen the land beast, and now we see this woman. Um, and those are sort of the three arms of Satan in uh, this book, um, uh, what, what Satan is using. Um, uh, and uh, so she represents this, this great city um, uh, that's being described as, as Babylon the Great in verse 5. 
Um, I don't think it's really Babylon. Babylon's been gone for, for a while. But it's interesting that you mentioned Daniel 2 earlier um, uh, because we have we start with Babylon and in the fourth kingdom then, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then in Daniel 7, the same uh, setup is given uh, for the four beasts. And I think that's maybe helpful to think about as we approach then the rest of chapter 7. I'll just um, mention, so while, you're, while you're making please. that point about Babylon, I'll just mention that uh, I believe, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, when Peter says, she that is in Babylon, elect together with you, salutes you, I think he's talking about Rome there. I think I think that's uh, that 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 makes the most sense to me. Um, I may be guilty of a little bit of circular arguing there, but I think that that is the reasonable thing. Ba Rome is the new Babylon. Yeah. Rome is the first century Babylon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, how about seven through eighteen? Chase. When the angel said to me, "Why do you wonder?" I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see, uh, well, excuse me, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here's the mind, which is wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits and they are seven, uh, seven kings. Five have fallen one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. And so uh, go ahead through, through the end. Sorry. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. Through the end of the chapter? Yeah, yeah, please. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and we eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose, and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay. So I don't think I've used that il this illustration uh, yet in our studies uh, on Revelation, but imagine if we're driving down the road and up ahead is a yellow sign, a, a, a yellow uh, sign off on the, the side, and it, it's, a, it's a sign, and you look at it, and there's, there's something in the middle of that yellow sign, it's got four legs, and it's got some like horns coming off of it. Um, can, can you imagine what, that's, what that might be? It's warning you that there are deer that come by. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so if deer I don't somebody, have horns. antlers. I didn't want to say antlers because that was going to give it away too much. Um, uh, I don't know the. Uh, I'm I'm not a biologist, okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, you know, if if I ask somebody, well, what is that? Uh, and they would say that's a deer, and I say, no, that's not a deer. That's a sign for a deer, right? And then as we're like arguing that. 
something jumps right in front of us and slams into the car and we're like, oh, that's a deal, <laughs> right? Uh, too, many, too many people have had that happen. Uh, so we understand the difference between a sign and the real. Yeah. And and we've had that already in uh, the book of Revelation. For example, we, we had uh, seven stars. And what did those seven stars represent in chapter one and verse 20? The angels of the churches. Yeah. And there were seven lampstands. And what did those seven lampstands represent? The churches. And so as we're driving down the road and we see that sign and you say, that's a sign of a deer. And then something jumps in front of us and slams into the side of, of your car and causes a bunch of damage. And we get out and I say, well, what's that? And you say, that's a deer. And I say, well, what does that represent? No, that's the thing that was represented. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we stop there. That's, that is the real thing. Yeah. And, and people make that mistake with the book of Revelation. You know, you have the sign like uh, lampstands, then you have the real, the churches, and then people want to say, well, what do the churches represent? No. <laughs> yeah, so we don't do that because we're told what the representation means. The same thing is true here. We have then, and we can connect this with chapter 13, um, uh, as John is marveling, and, and he's not doing that like really like pleased, but he's astonished by this sign. And uh, he is, is told in uh, verse 9 that the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And so those seven heads that we read about earlier, that uh, in, in verse 7, for example, she has seven heads and ten horns. Well, the seven heads represent seven mountains. And verse 10, they are also seven kings. And so they have a dual representation according to the scriptures, not according to Joe Jefferson. Right, right. According to the text, there are two separate meanings. One is seven mountains and the other one is seven kings. We can talk about it and discuss what the seven mountains are. I think that that is Rome. Um, uh, you can look up an encyclopedia, you can Google it, and uh, you can read about just like the seven hills, and it'll talk about Rome as the city set on seven hills. It's famous for that. Hey, let's do something real quick. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pull up a, a Google search thing, and I'm gonna hit share. And I'm going to search, I'm going to open up Google search, and I'm just going to type into this search bar, Rome was built on, and it pre-filled seven hills wow. right there. It pre yeah. I didn't type in seven hills, it just, yeah. seven hills of Rome, it just pre-filled yeah. it. And, and you look at that, the Encyclopedia Britannica, and even Wikipedia, you know, um, uh, <laughs> you know so it, it's settled science. Um, <laughs> uh, but... but there are other places that have seven hills. Uh, Rio de Janeiro um, in Brazil has, it sits on seven hills. I don't think it's talking about Rio. Biblically, Rome really fits the time frame for the first century, for the, the conflicts, for Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 being fulfilled, same time as this. And he says that there are seven kings. And so, and this isn't just like, sometimes seven is just a figurative number that doesn't really... Um, uh, have a, a, a division to it. But this one is pretty specific, right? Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So he says, five kings have fallen. And so if I am correct, and uh, that this is talking about Rome, then uh, as we're thinking about the kings, the Caesars of Rome, 
and the first Caesar was Augustus. You have Augustus, uh, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. Let, 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 let's, I'm sorry, I shouldn't interrupt it. No, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, be, to be precise, the first emperor was Augustus. Uh, yes. There was a Julius Caesar whose last name was Caesar, right. but then they started, then Augustus or Octavius, who takes the name Augustus, takes on the power of an emperor and takes the title Caesar as an, imper as an imperial title. Thanks. Yeah. So, right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's but exactly he is right. widely regarded as the first emperor. The right. first yeah. I, again, you can, you can Google that and you will see, because I've had people say, no, you need to start with Julius, but, but nobody starts with Julius. No, no. Nobody does that. Uh, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero, then those would be the five. Right. I think this is telling us then that Nero has just died. And then he says one is, that would be the sixth Caesar, that's uh, uh, Vespasian. Mm -hmm. And then he says the seventh, when he must, he must come for a short time, the seventh would be Titus, mm -hmm. and he only reigned for two years, uh, 79 to 81, I believe it was. Vespasian reigned from 69 to 79, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so... Um, what your uh, chart says. You know, okay, I don't have that one in front of me, so I'm just, uh, I looked at it earlier. Um, so uh, that fits, then I think that what we're seeing is that this book was written during the time of Vespasian, from the years somewhere between 69 and 79, and he's saying that the five kings have fallen, one king is, that means the sixth one is, and the seventh one is coming. So I suspect it was written towards the end of Vespasian's reign. I'm just speculating on that. I don't think I'm speculating that it was written during Vespasian's. I think that's what the Bible here teaches. Um, uh, and a lot of people will say, no, but but everybody says that it was written during Domitian's reign. And, and I think that that's just, and I say this humbly because a lot of people that I respect teach that. I think that it's just maybe oversimplifying it. I think it's being written about Domitian, yeah, but it's being written in Vespasian's reign. Now, 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 now Joe, you have made this point. I, I, I'd never seen it that way. You've made this point. Um, I think maybe it's been a year or two ago that I first heard you make this point, and it. I'm so impressed with it. It makes perfect sense. I get it. I don't see. I mean, it just. It's just plain as day. But I've never heard anybody famous say this. <laughs> I, need, I need somebody famous to say it for me. So, so let me tell you where I got the idea originally. And, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, it's been a while since I've read his material. But Jim McGuigan, who may not be famous to a lot of people, but, but he, I really like his writing. Yeah, he's, he's an excellent writer. Yeah. And in his commentary on Revelation, he presents at least a very similar argument to what I'm presenting. Um, uh, and so uh, this is this is not my own uh, invention, but but it but I do own it now. I, I think that that is what the text is teaching. Um, so uh, so there's 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 a better name than than Joe there. Um, uh, so then he says in verse eleven, then the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth who came after Titus. Then Domitian. Domitian. And so the beast that we're reading about was. Who was the last king? If Vespasian is reigning, who was the the beast? Nero. And who is the beast? Domitian. Nero and Domitian. Uh, boy, you want to talk about wicked, wicked rulers that fought against Christianity. Um, you know, that's that's it. And, so and Domitian was, was regarded as the new Nero. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. Nero come back to life. Just like Revelation 13 depicts the wounded, the fatally wounded that came back to life. That's exactly right. Um, so let me ask you real quick. Somebody's going to bring this up who's familiar with Roman history. There were three guys who get stuck in there that don't really seem to have much standing, but there were three guys that got stuck into that right. sequence of emperors. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Galba, Otho, and Vitalius. Um, uh, when Nero died in, I want to say, 69 AD, and uh, 69 was the year of five Caesars, am I right? Or 68, something like that? Um, 68. 68. 68. So, so Nero died. Galba took the throne, got killed. Uh, Otho took the throne, got killed. Vitellius took the throne. Vespasian is, is, was Nero's general that was in Jerusalem uh, laying siege against the city of Jerusalem at the time that Nero died. When he found out that Nero died, he quickly headed back to Rome and took the throne then, leaving Titus, his son, as the general over the siege of Jerusalem in 69 AD, uh, 69 to 70, for the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, uh, so you have in the span of about 12 months, and I don't, that, I'm just rounding off there, in the span of about a year, you have five different kings, mm -hmm. Nero, mm -hmm. Galba, Alpha, Vitellius, and then Vespasian. But Galba, Alpha, and Vitellius, they're, they're sort of like the, uh, some of the kings in Israel in uh, Second Kings, where they sit down on the throne and then they're murdered. You know, they don't last at all. Yeah. Uh, they're they're just an asterisk. Inconsequential. Exactly. And, so, and so yeah. So you've got us through the description of this woman and helped us see the identity of this woman. But as you said from the outset, this is about the judgment upon this woman. So next week we're going to have to come back and pick it up with the judgment that comes and the victory that is the Lord's. And I, I guess that's where we're going to have to pick it up next week, right? Yeah, and, and if that second angel fits that, then 17 and 18 we need to see is going together. So it'd be great if we can finish 17 and, and 18 as well.